Having been in the business of church planting for uh, over 30 years and now pastoring, um, I just thought I would commend all the people that make stuff happen on Sunday. Okay? Uh, I have learned through the years. Now, it, when I was a church planter, uh, there were times that the only audience I had was my family. Okay? Because that's how you start. And, uh, and then as God blesses, he gives you other people that, to worship with you. Uh, but as the ministry grows, um, then you need a lot more people who are willing to serve. So, by and large, many of you probably show up on Sunday morning and say, well, this is cool. There's music. You know, now we have like seven or eight pianists. Uh, we have people who teach. We have people who do children's church. We have people in the nursery. Man, it's neat. It just all happens. Well, it really doesn't just all happen. It's planned. And there's a lot of people that serve behind the scenes to make it happen. But uh, I, I thank the Lord for all of you. And, and many of you serve in various capacities. And I thank the Lord Jesus for your kindness and your willingness to serve in those capacities. Pastor Greg, if you've fo been following along, uh, has been preaching through the book of Ephesians. I've preached through the book of Ephesians on at least uh, three different occasions. Great book, one of my favorites for sure. Uh, but now we're in the latter half of it where there's a lot of just good stuff. But all that good stuff is based on what's been said in the first three chapters. The first three chapters, as Pastor Greg outlined, has to do with everything we have as recipients of God's grace by faith in the Lord Jesus. And then the last three chapters have to do with the practical uh, application of all of that because of what I am, because of who I am in Christ Jesus. Now I have certain responsibilities as his children. And so as we get started and jump into Psalm 39 or Psalm 13, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And uh, I'm going to ask you to not only pray for me, but also extend grace to me. Okay? Because uh, for 35 years, I preached every Sunday and multiple times. Uh, now I'm a little rusty, okay? A little rusty. And so uh, you just extend some grace to me, and I will do the same to you as uh, you listen. But uh, I wanted to uh, couch this for those, chil uh, those uh, children and young people that are present. I want to start with a story. It's the story, uh, it's a make-believe story, but it... It involves Chippy, the parakeet. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the parakeet. I was going to say paraclete. No, that's Greek. That's the parakletos. That that's that's the wrong way. The parakeet. And so this elderly lady had Chippy, the parakeet. And uh, as was her custom, about once a week she would clean out his cage. And part of what she followed when she would clean it out is she would use the, uh, the vacuum cleaner to vacuum out the bottom and all the, the waste and so forth. And so that was her custom, and she was doing that the one day, and, uh, and, uh, and the phone rang. And as the phone rang, she reached over to grab the phone, and all of a sudden she heard, Phew! and Chippy was gone. So I'll call you right back, and she hung up the phone, and she, she 
took the top off the vacuum cleaner, and there was Chippy. And so she shook them all off, shook them all off, and, uh, but no life. And, and she thought, I, so she took them over to the sink, and she put them under the faucet, and she rinsed them all off, and she shook them and shook them, and still no life. But finally, he started to come to, and Chippy, unbelievably, survived that incident. But prior to that incident, Chippy always sang. He was a beautiful parakeet that always sang beautiful songs. But after that incident, Chippy no longer had a song. And beloved, I want you to know as we meet together today, I want to be a blessing and a help to you. Because sometimes, as happens in any kind of religious circle, when hardship strikes our life, we know our theology is over here. We have good doctrine, and, and we have two very gifted pastors that teach us the Word of God. But for some believers, they have their good doctrine over here, but then they have their experience over here. Are you following? And, and sometimes, those two things never mesh. Because I, I know what God is. I know how he is revealed in the scripture. So you say things like, well, I know God is, is revealed in scripture. He's a, he's a good God. But, but I'm not sure that I have experienced that he's good to, to me. Does that make sense? You see? So I have this experience, and then I have what I know to be true about God. And so as a result, over a period of time, whether it's, you know, I start out, I, I remember at August of 1971, at the age of 19, that's where I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I was religious, I went to church, but I was lost. But I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, a young adult. My life was radically transformed. But then there's stuff that happens in life, is that right? <laughs> yeah. We, we all go through it. We all go through it. And so I wanted to shift gears a little bit because this is one of my favorite psalms. And as I was thinking about when Pastor Greg asked me to pinch hit, I thought, well, you know, we've been studying some great theology, but this is one of practical application more than anything. And, uh, and so uh, as it was true for Chippy the parakeet, so can be true for the believer. And that is, I start out just like I did, with all kinds of enthusiasm and excitement about the things of God, and I'm a child of God, and I'm on my way to heaven, and I want to see other people trust the Lord. But then over time, stuff happens, and pretty soon my song starts to wane. And my enthusiasm for the things of God begins to wane. Now, please, before you go into a deep depression, <laughs> listen. If the psalmist David went through it, you're in good company. But what I want us to go away with today, if anything, is that we can learn some things from what David went through. And so uh, uh, Daniel has been so kind uh, to uh, try to follow along my outline. We'll see 
Because I told him, I said, I can't make any promises. Sometimes I get off target, you know. But we'll, we'll get back to it. But uh, uh, as a shepherd, as a pastor, there are a number of things in ministry that can give you sleepless nights. But may I suggest to you one that gives a pastor more sleepless nights than anything else. And that is, when hardship strikes a sheep, and the shepherd is not sure if they have the depth of soil in their soul to withstand the storm. And you lose sleep over that. Did I teach them enough? Do they know enough? Is their faith strong enough? And you, 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 you lose sleep over that, you see? Because that's exactly what Matthew 13 and the parable of the sower teaches us. You see, there's four kinds of soil there which represent the, the heart of the person who's hearing the word of God. But only one of them bears fruit. You see, because there's the stony ground and there's the, the weeds and then there's the enemy himself, the devil that comes and snatches the word of God. That's why it's so important and it behooves us, beloved, that each Sunday we pray for Pastor Greg and Pastor Chris as they minister the word of God. Why? Because the enemy wants to snatch away that truth out of your heart. He's got that by design. Before you exit the doors, he's taken it out of your heart and you've forgotten about it. That's a strategy he has, you see. And so we always have to be in prayer whenever the bread of life is opened. And, uh, and those are some things that keep a pastor awake at night. I've entitled this message, uh, Navigating Through Crisis. Navigating Through Crisis. Now, I'm just going to mention a few of these. I, I, I'm, I know I'm overlooking some of you. But... I just made a note for myself. I thought, okay, if I just take a panorama of the FBC congregation, if I go back like two years, what are some of the crises you have faced? These are some of them. One family lost a child. Some of you lost parents, grandparents, siblings. A relative. How about illness? Some of you have been, you've heard those terrible words, cancer. Different kinds of fractures, surgeries. There's nothing that tugs at a person's heartstrings, a parent's heartstrings, than when a child has something very serious wrong and they can't figure it out. You know, if you're a parent, you, I, I don't have to tell you how difficult that is. Uh, some of it has been financial, right? Uh, sometimes we buy into the fact that we're, we're always going to have plenty. And then years like 2008 hit. <laughs> and all that money you had set aside for retirement is now cut in about half. And then it was repeated, not as severe, uh, last year in 2021. And, and then you throw in the, the dynamic of inflation that all of you are aware of, and uh, suddenly the financial security 
is not as solid as it used to be. And then how about the category of relational? Uh, some of you have been abandoned by a parent. Some by a mate. Some, your child that you brought up in the faith walked, has walked away from God. And there's no reasonable explanation. There's been a betrayal of a friend or a co-worker. That's just a partial list. And I know some of them I haven't covered. Now, let me ask you something. On a scale of 1 to 10, when you start with a deaths, illness, financial, relational, where does your hardship rank? Don't put your hand up. Five? Seven? A ten? I don't know. I do know this about human nature. <laughs> and that is, to me, it's always a ten. You may look at mine and say, oh, that's nothing. You know, that's nothing. And uh, that's why I always chuckle at the days when I went through the military and I think about sacrifice and hardship and I say, you know, in my own heart, I say, you have no idea <laughs> what people sacrifice in the military. Um, but the fact is, to me, it's personal. It's deep. And it tends to take my anchor away from what I've always believed and trusted in. And that's what I want to address today. Now, first of all, the setting. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the setting. And uh, so, Daniel, so far we're doing okay, right? I, I know I used to drive people crazy with my outlines. Because if I got off base, then they never knew where I was. But the setting, uh, most scholars believe Psalm 13 was at some point when David was on the run from Saul. No, not sure exactly when, but be that as it may, that's not the important thing. But he was on the run from Saul. That's the kind of the general setting. But then there's also, secondly, the discrepancies. Now, uh, Kyle was kind enough to read casually, and you may not have picked up on some of those discrepancies. Let me call your attention to the text before we get into all of it. Um, if God truly forgot David, as David says, then how did God love David unceasingly, as he says in verse 5? Now, did you notice the way the psalm started there's four rhetorical questions that god doesn't answer they all begin with the little two words how long how long how long how long so if you've ever asked that question you're in good company asking questions of god is not a sinful activity because we're, we're mortal, sinful, fallen creatures. And we don't understand this big picture that God has. And so we're at a loss sometime trying to figure things out. And, uh, and so there's these discrepancies. Uh, David says that uh, uh, God hid his face in verse 1. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? While at the same time, in verse 6, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, kind of the surface contradictions or discrepancies in the text 
Uh, David says he wrestled with many thoughts and had sorrow in his heart every day. And yet when he comes to verse 6, he says he sang with joy at the same time. David says his enemies, his enemy was triumphing over him. But in verse 5, David says God was delivering him. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Deliverance, you see. Now, I think you can figure out the discrepancy pretty simply by asking yourself these questions. When you lose a loved one, do you feel loved or unloved by God? We've all felt unloved by God at different times, right? When you're laid off from a job, do you feel that God cares for you or he doesn't care for you? When you're laid aside with, because of some physical infirmity for a period of time, do you feel that God understands or he doesn't understand? Or when a, we mentioned some of the other things, a friend betrays you, finances don't make it. Uh, we could go on and on. And uh, if I wanted to give you a list of 40 years of serving in Utah, I can give you a list. But it's incidental compared to what God was doing behind the scenes in our personal life and in the ministries that we were serving. Now, thirdly, is the, the misconceptions. Now, these are misconceptions because they're misconceptions that either the world tells us or that we have brought, we, we have concluded, just on our own wisdom. Bad things won't happen to good people. Ah. Uh. <laughs> All my relationships will remain healthy and intact. I will have plenty financially. Uh, this is a good one that I, I uh, have used. God will, because I'm on God's side, he'll go soft on me. All my prayers will be answered just like I want them to be answered. All future hopes and dreams and ambitions will come to fruition. Now, are those sinful bad things? Not necessarily in and of themselves. But they are misconceptions that you really can't find evidence for in the Word of God. You see? And that's what brings us to navigating through crisis. That's the way you felt when those things happened. But is that really what you believe? about God based on what you know about God to be true. And I want you to know I've walked alongside of all of those different kinds of scenarios. Lost loved ones, betrayal, mates walk away, children don't follow the Lord, you name it. And you coach alongside of people to help them through that. And so those misconceptions are all there. And sometimes you have to get to the nitty gritty and find out, well, was it based on a misconception? And that's why now you're ready to throw your faith out the door. You see? And uh, so I trust that this will be helpful. And uh, we're just going to look at it briefly on uh, three emotions that we all struggle with when, misfortunes, when misfortune strikes. The first one is despair. Now, I 
specifically chose that word. Because sometime in Christian circles we say, despair? The believer should never despair. I mean, after all, isn't his hope in the God of the universe? Absolutely. But I want you to know, you can't read the words of this psalm and not understand or see and jump off the page that David was in despair. By the, not only by the four times that he says how long, but notice what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? So first of all, he doubts God's thoughts about him. Okay, thoughts. Now, I, I, I'm not giving you all the subpoints because I, in my outlines, I like people to write down things if they want. If they don't, it's okay. Uh, but be that as it may, sometimes I, found, I have found through the years in keeping notes from people who are speaking that if I not only engage my brain and my ears, but I also enjoy, uh, engage my writing, that I'm more apt to remember something. So thoughts. Now think about this. What do we mean when we say God is omniscient? He knows everything, right? It's just a big theological word. He knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. Did David know that God was omniscient? You bet he did, because he wrote Psalm 139. He says, you know my downsitting, you know my uprising, you know when I go left, you know I go right. There, there's, I can't go anywhere. You know it all. And yet, how can he say, oh, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Forever? So he, he, he questions. So can a God who is omniscient ever forget? No. <laughs> he can't. There's only one time that I'm aware of in the Bible where God says, I will remember your sins, can you finish it? No more. Did you ever put that together in your theology? Now, wait a minute. God who knows everything, well, you know what it is? It's an act of his sovereign will. He chooses to not remember your sin anymore. By just an act of his will. But it's not like he forgot, you know, oh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> not in that sense. But secondly, his disposition, he questions. How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, it's interesting if we were to take the time to go over to Psalm 139 in verses 1 through 6, he talks about God's omniscience. He talks about God's omnipresence. He talks about that he knows everything about him. There's nowhere he could go. There's nothing that he can do that God doesn't know. And so it's ironic that he says, how long will you hide your face from me? You see, he begins to question. Is God indeed able to hide? <laughs> not really. At least not uh, from what I understand the Bible to teach. Uh, however, I have found this, that is, on the human level, not in my level, in my relationship and vertical relationship with God, but on a human level. Those of you that are parents, you tell your child, now listen, right after dinner, I want you to go and clean your room. And uh, 
within uh, perhaps just moments, they're out in the backyard playing, right? And, and what do you do? You say, uh, well, you, they heard you, but they weren't, what? Listening. Now, there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? Um, you know, if a husband has his nose in the newspaper and the wife is trying to tell him something significant and important, and suddenly she realizes, honey, you're not listening, are you? Oh, oh yeah, I, yeah, yes. But it really wasn't, you see. Sometimes we can be that way with God. God always hears, always listens, never can hide his face. But that's not necessarily true of us. And then he goes on, he says, how long will you hide your face? How long must I take counsel in my soul? and have sorrow in my heart all the day. That's where the, the despair reaches kind of a pinnacle. Now remember, this is David. This is God's man. He says, you know, I, I have no one to talk to. That's all I can do is take counsel in my own heart and just sorrow. Day and night. All day long. And then lastly... He questions God's deliverance. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Those who are anti-God to David and to the things of God. Now, let me say something about despair. Very briefly. Despair is an emotion that we have the capability of having. Okay? I've been there, done that. I was in the pastorate in Richfield, Utah, when I lost both of my parents in a seven-month period of time. I want you to know that was the first time on a different level that I found despair. The despair certainly was because I lost both of my parents. But my, the added despair is I wasn't sure if mom and dad were in heaven. That was where the real despair was. You see? And I would go to my office to study the Word of God because I had to preach on Sunday and I would just sob and sob and sob. I know what despair is. But let me give you a word of encouragement. Be careful that you don't stay there. That's the critical point. Don't stay there. If you need to reach out and get help from a pastor, from a friend, from a counselor, don't stay there. I think I've walked alongside of enough people that I look at different signposts as people go through their grieving process. Whether it's the loss of a child, loss of a mate, loss of a parent, and that certain sign points, posts, you, you look for those because you say, you know, they're making progress or they're not. Maybe they need some help from outside. And it's, it's okay to admit I need some help, you see. But despair, that's the first point. But we're not going to stay there, right? Just like I don't want you to stay there. The second point is desire. You see, because after admitting where he's at and questioning God, he says in verses 3 and 4, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Number one, he had a desire to have a God give him consideration in an audience. 
to listen. Now, you see, we're at a little bit disadvantage with God. Okay? If your child's not listening, you can get their attention. If your mate's not listening, you say, Now, did you hear anything I said? Now, with God, what's the disadvantage? He doesn't talk to me. He talks to me through his word, but he doesn't verbally talk to me. And so that's a little bit of a disadvantage for me. So when my feelings of despair overwhelm my faith, that's when I get in trouble. David understood that. And so he, he asks that God might give him consideration in an audience. All of us want to be reassured that God is listening and that he cares. Is that right? All of us want to be reassured that my heavenly father, God, is listening and he cares. But where do I get that assurance? In this book, beloved. In this book. See, that's why it behooves me to know the book well, as well as I can in my lifetime. Secondly, he asks God to lift his spirit. Uh, when he says, lest, uh, lift up mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Uh, uh, he needed, all, all of us know that God is the only one that can do that. Now, you remember when Pastor Greg preached through Ephesians 4 about how the body is all knitly framed and put together and uh, uh, with every joint and strength that we can provide? That's everybody's job. It's not just pastor's job, you see? Uh, and so when people are going through hard stuff, we can all be of help and have a ministry, you see? And I, I, if I had the time, I could identify a number of times you have stepped up to the plate and done that for people in need in our congregation. That's an important uh, thing. But the bottom line, beloved, as I tell people when they lose a loved one, I, I, I pull up alongside them. I say, I want you to know, as someone who cares for you and loves you, I wish I could take the pain away. But I can't. I can't. I can maybe lift your spirit a little bit, but God's the only one that can take the pain away. Thirdly, David asked that the enemy will not be given grounds to doubt God's care of him. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. There's a principle here that I, if you've never gotten a hold of it before, I think it's important for you to get a hold of it and for me to get a hold of it. And that is appealing on the basis of God's reputation and God's testimony. I'm standing on solid ground. I, I, I'm not just saying, you know, I, I would really feel a lot better if this were done, you know. No, no. It, it's on the basis of God and his reputation. He has a reputation. And believe me, he'll, he's big enough to defend that. And so David rests and closes that portion. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. God is concerned about his reputation that's at stake. And by the way, if uh, David...
David is certainly in good company. But Moses did that. David did that. Right here is one example. Abraham did that. They appealed to God on the basis of his reputation. That the enemy, that the ungodly, would not mock the work of the Lord. So the first emotion, despair. Second one is desire. And it's not necessarily an emotion as much as a plea from my heart. But then we're going to conclude with uh, delight. And that takes us to verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now please don't miss the incredible contrast between verses 1 and 2 and verses 5 and 6. It is huge. Now the key for us is, how did David get there? I'd like to think that David had good theology since he passed a lot of it along to us. Okay? About what, who God was and what he was like. But the first thing he mentions here, delight in, in uh, that he's worthy. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Worthy of our trust because of his past track record. In past months, you have prayed for dear friends of ours, Lee and Diana Whitworth, when she went through her three-year battle with cancer. And the Lord took her home in February. Yesterday, we went to the daughter's wedding. One of the daughters who was dating a young man, got engaged. That wedding was yesterday. I sent Lee a text. I said, I, we're coming down for it, but I know this is going to be a mixed bag because Diana get, didn't get to live to see this. Heartache. Heartache. You see? But you see, we trust God. Our faith is in Him because of the track record, and especially the longer I've walked with God. He has a worthy track record, so I can trust him. Elaine and I, as we celebrated our 41st anniversary, we're, gonna, we, we're finally going to be able to squeeze in a getaway tomorrow night, uh, but we were talking about trust. Uh, after 41 years, beloved, I want you to know, that's a woman I trust. I, I, I don't worry where she goes and what she does or how much money she spends. Why? We've got a track record together. Now just put that up about 10 times with regard to how God has revealed himself in the scriptures to me as his child. Is he worthy because of his track record? The answer is yes. Affirmatively. I can trust God. He's worthy. Secondly, is his confidence. His confidence. All of us know that God is the only one that can do that. Do what? Lift his spirit. Uh, that was mentioned earlier. But of God's deliverance. Because he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Deliverance from certainly 
sin when I first trusted Christ as my Savior, but deliverance in his good timing from whatever this heartache is that I'm going through. And he, I have to leave it to him when and if and how he chooses that deliverance. You see? I have that kind of confidence. And then he says, lastly, to sing. Nathan mentioned that at the end. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, how did he get there, beloved? So this is how he felt, right? This is the feelings, the despair. But in spite of that despair, I, I, I went and I expressed my desires to God. This is what I want from God. But in the meantime, I'm going to demonstrate my delight in him, those things that are fixed, that will never be moved, that are sure. I can take it to the bank, you see, about who he is and what he has done on my behalf as his child. Now, I could ask the question, do you believe God is good? I think if I asked you to raise your hand and you're a Christian, you'd say, well, yeah, God is good. But then if I qualify it and say, when you lose your job, when you're out of money, when you lose your health, when you have a car wreck, when that friend betrays you, when that loved one is taken, is God still good? Yes. He's always good. Let me illustrate it this way. Some people make a joke out of, if you're Italian, there, there are some things that are true about you. Okay? I was born in Italy. I grew up on this platform. I love spaghetti. We poured concrete. And, uh, and I play the accordion. Now, I'm not Italian because I do those three things. I'm Italian because I was born in Italy. Transfer that over to God. Is God good because he's demonstrated himself good to me? No. There's times that my, my perception of what he's doing is not necessarily good. I mean, look at our world. We've got wars all over the place. We've got demonstrations. We've got mass shootings. We, we've got protests going on. We're, we're living in total chaos in our world that I never thought I'd see all of this going on at the same time. Is God still good? You betcha he is. Not because of what I see and experience in life, but because I know what the Word of God teaches about him. You see, God's love and care and goodness is not marked because he didn't do what I wanted him to do or he did not operate the way I thought he should. No, he's just God because he's God. So those truths about God, what are some of them as we draw this to a close? Um, he got there, number one, because of, uh, uh, he, he didn't allow his feelings uh, to get in the way. I like to illustrate it with an anchor. I, I'm not a, a big fisherman, but I have been in a boat fishing. If you don't want an anchor down, within 30 minutes, you're way off from where you started. 
I remember I used to go fishing with, a, with one of the families in my church at Fish Lake. And he knew the hot spot. You line up that telephone pole on that bank with that bush on that bank, and you let down your anchor, and the fish are all here. And uh, at first I thought, oh, come on, get off it. But he knew the spot. He knew the spot. If you didn't let down the anchor, what would happen? You start to drift. You wouldn't even sense it that you're drifting. Beloved, that's exactly what the enemy does with you. If you don't have that anchor, you start to drift. Why does a child who was brought up in the faith suddenly denounce God and the Word of God? He, he started to drift. Started to drift. Didn't even know he was drifting. But finally wound up way over from where he started out. But beloved, that's outsiders. I'm talking about us. We get there the same way. Our anchor, and, and that will produce a lot less sleepless nights for your dear pastors, Greg and Chris. Because when they know that you're anchored in what you know to be true about God and the Word of God, you will be able and so, uh, to withstand. And so it's a decision of my will because he says, I have trusted. That's what I want you to get a hold of in the last two verses. I have trusted. I shall rejoice. I will sing. Regardless of what my feelings are telling me, this is what I'm going to do. It's a decision of my will. But then secondly, is to resaturate myself with those truths that I know to be true about God. And so uh, those truths, even though God or David felt like he was abandoned, even though he felt like maybe God wasn't listening or his face wasn't front and center, he went back to his anchor and he knew that that was not true. May God help you. I don't know what your challenge is today. You know, sometimes they're of a nature that they're too private for us to share with, even with other people. But I know they're real. And so that loss, maybe that I suffered last year or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I've never been able to settle that with the theology that I learned in the Word of God. And so there's a disconnect with what I know to be true, but what I've experienced to be true. And I don't know how to bring those two worlds together. Or that, that child, or that parent, or that, that marriage that failed. And uh, that's just been left a, a burr in my saddle for many years. May God help us to settle that, even today. And uh, certainly if we can be of help to you, or uh, Pastor Greg when he gets back, I know he would be delighted. But God has answers. And he doesn't want us to wallow in despair. We're, we're going to be there at different points in life for a short period of time, but don't stay there. And may God help us in that endeavor. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us today. Thank you for these dear people. And uh, I pray that uh, something said or shared here today might penetrate our heart. I'm sure that there are heartaches and disappointments and tragedies and losses that I don't even know about. But I thank you that I can plead on behalf of your people 
knowing that you know about them and that you might minister the salve of your grace to their heart today. And we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.